Corey Ten Boom once said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Can I say that again? Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, my hunch is here this morning that maybe some of you are feeling some uncertainty about the unknown. Freshmen, we are so glad you're here. And this is your first year at college, and you don't know what the future holds. What in the world does a semester here at Ozark Christian College look like? Well, this morning, I am going to tell you. I do not have a crystal ball, but I have been here at Ozark for 25 years. And so I know how a first semester for a freshman at Ozark usually unfolds. So over the next few weeks, here's what's going to happen. Prediction number one. During the first week of class, you're going to go to class, and you're going to look like this. You're going to have on your best clothes, your new school clothes. You're going to be looking fine, fresh, and sharp first week of the semester. But guys, here's my prediction. By the last week of the semester, you're going to be looking like this. You will be a homeless lumberjack. That is my prediction. Ladies, you can laugh, but it's going to happen to you too because, ladies, you're going to start the semester out. It's going to be a fashion show. You're going to end the semester, and it's going to be a pajama party right there. That's how it looks. I'm just telling you it's true. That's prediction one. Here's prediction two. At the beginning of the semester, you are going to hit the gym. You're going to think to yourself, man, I'm full of good intentions. I'm going to start new habits. No freshman 15 for me. I'm going to run, I'm going to lift, I'm going to work out. By the end of the semester, I am going to have a body like Thor. Here's my prediction. (laughs) By the end of the semester, you will have a body like Thor. Congratulations, you did it. Well done. All right. Prediction number three. Prediction number three at the beginning of the semester. You're going to hit the books. You're going to hit the books, and your first assignment is due, and so you're going to go to the library, you're going to check out the books, you're going to study hard, you're going to write your paper, and you're going to spell check it, you're going to turn it in on Canvas two days before it's due. That's first week, syllabus week. That's you. But by finals week, that is you. That's my prediction right there. You are toast. You are running on 100% coffee and 0% sleep. And you are, you are starting your paper two hours before it is due. And you're finally noticing for the first time that the, that the last part of the word studying is actually the word dying. And that is how you are going to feel. That's my prediction. Here's, here's prediction number four, last one. At the beginning of the semester, you are looking for love. Now, I know what Uncle Kevin says, but let's just be honest. Ozark is a microwave for romance. And, and I'm just in a few short weeks, this whole campus is going to look like Noah's Ark. Everybody walking around two by two. It's how it happens. I have been here a long time. That's how it goes. But by the end of the semester, here's my prediction. Lovebirds will become angry birds. All right. As a freshman, as a freshman, I started dating in September. I was broke up by December. So if you come in here looking for a ring by spring, you might end up with a bummer by summer. That's how it rolls. I'm just telling you that's what it is. So word to the wise, be patient, keep your focus on God. But I know some of you are focused on each other. And I know, I know how a semester here at Ozark Christian College unfolds. But can I be honest with you here this morning, this year, this fall, 2020 semester, I don't know how it's going to unfold. Because... 
this year is crazy. Can I get an amen on that one? Oh my word, this year started out way back in January. Remember this? Australia caught on fire, all right? And then, you know, political turmoil, we got presidential impeachment, and then the pandemic hits, and, uh, you know, thousands of people lose their lives, millions of people lose their jobs, and then there's tragic racial injustice, and there's riots, and there's unrest, and then, of course, you know, you got murder hornets, and you got, you know, toilet paper shortages, and everybody's got to wear a mask, and you can't hug grandma, and we're not going to have Olympics, and I'm kidding, I'm not kidding you this actually happened last week the the pentagon set up a task force to study the rise in reports of ufos what is going on here nobody knows what's going to happen next and we still have a presidential election that's coming up this fall flu season that's coming up this fall what's going to happen if we have a covid outbreak and, and listen even in a normal semester even in the midst of normal times we would still be asking questions the one certainty in life is uncertainty. And so for 78 years, Ozark Christian College students have been asking themselves questions, probably like the ones you're asking yourself right now. What am I gonna be when I grow up? Will I be alone in life? Will I make some good friends? Will I get married? How in the world am I gonna pay for all of this? Faculty and staff have questions. What about my kids? Are they gonna turn out all right? What about my husband's self? Am I gonna be able to cover all my finances? Is my life going to matter? How will I handle the hardships that are sure to come my way? And for all of us, the future stretches out before us like this great unexplored country, this, this vast unknown. And we're wondering what's out there and how in the world am I going to get to where I need to go? That is exactly how the Israelites felt in Deuteronomy chapter 1. You got your Bibles here this morning. Grab your Bibles and open them to Deuteronomy chapter 1. All semester long, you heard we're going to be in Deuteronomy together. That's going to be our text this morning, the book of Deuteronomy, and our text for the entire semester here in chapel. And Deuteronomy starts off this way. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 says this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf, between Paran on one side and Tophel, Laban, Hazroth, and Dizahab on the other. And normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea going by way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. Let's stop right there. A journey, you caught that, a journey that normally takes 11 days took 40 years. What's going on here? You know the backstory. 40 years before, God, Moses, lead Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And, and you remember, you know, uh, 10 plagues and, and let my people go and uh, parting of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And finally, after 400 years of captivity, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. And then the top of Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments and I will take you to the promised land. And sure enough, God does. He takes Israel right up to the east side of the Jordan River, right on the edge of the promised land. And this vast, unexplored country stretches out in front of them, the great unknown. And Israel, at that moment, is filled with uncertainty. What's out there? You remember what they do. They send in spies, reconnaissance mission. What, what's, what's going on? And when the spies come back, I mean, they're telling stories of these giant fortified cities and these great big giant people, and there's no way that we're going to be able to conquer this land, and we want to go back to Egypt. And the Israelites fail to trust God. They are afraid. And so God says, okay, fine. 
You don't want to go to the promised land? Here's what's going to happen. Because of your unbelief, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until your whole generation dies out. And then, then I will lead your children into the promised land. And that is where we are here in Deuteronomy 1. The previous generation has all died out. The children have now grown up. And God, after the 40 years, has led them right back to the exact same place. East side of the Jordan River, their feet are standing in the same place. Their parents' feet stood. And out before them stretches the promised land, this vast, unexplored country, the great unknown. And guess what? They're filled with uncertainty, question marks. And Moses doesn't want them to make the same mistake that their parents made. And so what does Moses do? Well, Moses preaches them a sermon. Actually, he preaches them a series of sermons. Deuteronomy is a collection of three of Moses' sermons. These, uh, it's a sermon series. It's, in fact, the last three sermons that Moses ever preached in his life. And, and all semester long, we'll be studying through this sermon series that we call Deuteronomy. And what, what is Moses' big idea in this, in this sermon series? What is it that Moses is trying to communicate here in Deuteronomy? In a sentence, it is this. Trust, obey, Conquer. That's it. Trust, obey, conquer. At the beginning of the book, he talks about God's nature, God's character, God's actions, and he says, trust him. And then in the middle of the book, he repeats the law of God that God had given on Mount Sinai 40 years before, and he says, obey, obey God. And at the end of the book, he says, conquer. Don't be like your parents. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't bail out on this hard journey, yes, that's in front of you. Go in there, take the promised land, and conquer it. I know you've got questions. I know you're full of uncertainty. I know you're scared, but trust God and obey him, and you will conquer. Listen to me, Ozark, as we are standing right here, right now, on the edge of the unknown. Trust and obey. If you want to conquer the obstacles that will be in front of you this semester, that will be in front of you in life, trust and obey, and that's what we're going to call this sermon series, all sermon long in chapel, trust, obey, conquer. Now, for most of the semester, we're going to be talking about that second word, obey. That's what we'll be, but my job this morning is to talk about that first word, trust, because Moses's message in this book is never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And in the book of Deuteronomy, he's going, he's going to remind us of three things about God, three truths about God, this God that we can know, this God that we can trust. Here's the first reminder. Moses says, you can trust God because he is more powerful than you could ever imagine. He's more powerful than you could ever imagine. Now, I, uh, I saw a book title one time. This, this book was entitled, God's Never Failed Me Yet. But he has scared me to death a few times. <laughs> and that's where the Israelites are at here in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They are scared to death. Yes, it's 40 years later, but guess what? There are still great big fortified cities in the land. There are still great big giants in the land. They are not warriors. All the odds are stacked against them. How in the world are they ever going to do that? And so what does Moses say to them? Well, Moses says to them here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God is powerful. He says this. He says, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very eyes. Moses is saying, remember what God did. He single-handedly brought Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, to its knees. I'm talking blood and frogs and locusts and hail and disease and darkness and death. You remember this. And listen, Israel didn't have to lift a finger. And Pharaoh didn't stand a chance. And that's why Moses will, will say to them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he will say this, has anything ever great as this ever been seen or heard before? 
I mean, has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials and miraculous signs and wonders and war and a strong hand and a powerful arm and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. God is more powerful than you can imagine, but sometimes when we face uncertainty, I doubt that truth. A few years ago, there was a there was a best-selling book um, called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was written by a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Harold Kushner. And in this best-selling book, Rabbi Harold Kushner said, when bad things happen to good people, it's not because God doesn't care about them. His conclusion was it's because God actually isn't big enough and powerful enough to stop those bad things from happening. But what Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy is this, sorry, Rabbi Kushner, but you're wrong. I have seen the pillar of fire. I have seen the cloud. I have seen the waters heap up on either side. I have walked through the bottom of the sea on dry land. And there is no enemy. There is no fortress. There is no giant that can stand against our God. He is that powerful Ozark Christian College. Yes, we're facing unknown. And yes, it is scary. But there is no problem too big for our God. This was uh, three, four years ago. And I went to a conference down in Florida and uh, I took my, my daughter Lydia with me. This conference was at a very nice hotel. It was right there on the beach, Boca Raton, Florida. And in fact, this hotel was so nice, they were actually filming a movie at this hotel while we were there. They were filming a Hollywood movie. Now, I've never actually seen this movie. I would not recommend that you see this movie, but the movie that they were filming while we were there was the movie Baywatch, all right? Uh, Don't watch it, okay? And and this movie, you might remember, um, starred Zac Efron and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And so we actually saw them um, while we were there. This is a picture of them that one of our uh, people in our group snapped of of these two famous movie stars. And so one night during this conference, um, we actually went down to the outside pool at nighttime uh, because they were going to film a night scene for this movie and they had the pool all roped off but we got to sit there right on the edge of the rope and watch them film this scene. It was really interesting and so I'm sitting right there on on the rope and of course on the other side of the rope there's these two big guys you know in black t-shirts and walkie talkies and they're, they're kind of the crew and they're protecting uh, the set and uh, my daughter Lydia is, is seated right next to me. She's 20 years old and right beyond those two big guys in black t-shirts I mean like 15 feet from where we're sitting is Zac Efron. Lydia grew up watching High School Musical, right? Okay. And so she's just seated there, you know, she's 20 years old looking at Zac Efron and she's like, oh Lord, thank you Jesus. I mean, good job on that one. Lord, how did you do that? And right beyond Zac Efron is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now Dwayne, can I just say this about this guy? He is massive, all right? I mean, just look at look at this next picture here. The guy is huge. You think he's big on screen. Wait till you see him in real life. He is a huge human chunk of granite. He's big. And so we are watching uh, them film this, this movie. And, and in this particular scene, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's character is mad at Zac Efron. And so, boom, he pushes Zac Efron into the pool in this particular scene. Now, of course, he's not actually pushing Zac Efron. It's Zac's uh, body double, his stunt double. And so we watch him film this, this scene like six or, six or seven times. And, and right at, at the end, as, as they're uh, finishing up this particular filming, uh, one of those big guys in the black T-shirts and the, and the walkie-talkie um, came up to me. I'm seated right there on the front at the rope. And he says, uh, uh, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to uh, come with us. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, 
did I, did I do something wrong? I was trying to be real quiet. I mean, I make some mistake. And he's like, no, 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 no mistake. We just, we just need you to come with us. And what had happened was uh, those guys apparently thought that I was uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's body double. That did not happen, all right? <laughs> I did see The Rock. I did watch them film this scene, but nobody has ever mistaken me for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Look at me, all right? I am not buff. I am not jacked. I am not a fearsome individual. Now, I have been in some dangerous situations in my life. I have been, I have been in third world countries in neighborhoods that were so crime-ridden they were patrolled by soldiers flying right over my head in helicopters with AK-47s hanging out the door. I have, I have been on the streets of New York City at 2 a.m. when all of a sudden this big group of guys came spilling out of a building and a barroom fight, a barroom brawl just starts, starts building right around me right there on the sidewalk. Now, when I am in situations like that, when I am walking those kind of streets, when I'm in those kind of neighborhoods, you understand, I do not strike terror in anybody's heart. All right. In that moment, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. I never had a class on this in Bible college, how to break up barroom brawls. It wasn't there. It's not my spiritual gift. At my church here in Joplin, I am the children's church teacher. What am I going to say in that moment? All right, guys, I mean it. Sit down and be quiet. Right now, I am serious. Doesn't work in children's church, okay? Not going to work here. And in that moment, in those kind of moments, listen, I am the one who is afraid. My heart is the one that's starting to beat faster. My palms are the one that's starting to sweat. I don't know what to do there. But on that night in Florida, as I was watching that movie being filmed, all of a sudden a thought occurred to me, what if? What if The Rock was my friend? I mean, what if The Rock was like my partner in life? What if The Rock was my constant companion? What if he was with me in situations like this? If I, if I had The Rock with me, I could walk down any street with confidence. If I had The Rock with me, I could move through life with courage. If I had The Rock with me, I could be free from anxiety and fear. If I, if I had The Rock with me, I mean, look at this guy. He is pretty much the baddest man on the planet. Look at this guy. He, he drinks jet fuel for breakfast and he eats machine gun bullets for lunch and you don't mess with the rock if i had the rock with me i'm telling you what the middle of a barroom fight would be a perfectly safe place for me to be listen to me ozark christian college i do i do have the rock with me at every moment of every day i have the rock of ages at my side five times in the book of deuteronomy moses calls god the rock our rock god is my rock god is my refuge. God is my strength. God is the king of the universe. He is the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of galaxies, and God is the sovereign over every nation. In the person of Jesus Christ, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the champion of heaven, and the conqueror on the cross. He is the slayer of sin, the defeater of death, the subjugator of Satan himself, and someday at the end of time, he will be revelation's righteous warrior on a white war horse. And do you think, do you think for a moment that I am worried about pandemics or presidential elections or problems of any kind? I am not because I have the rock that will never be broken. I have the rock that will never be shaken. I have the rock of ages at my side. He is more powerful than you could ever imagine. So do not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's the first reminder. Here's the second. Moses says you can trust God because he is more wise than you could possibly imagine. He's wiser than you could ever imagine. Now, uh, my, my kids are here, two of my kids are here uh, today, and my kids, bless their hearts, <laughs> they, they have heard me preach hundreds of sermons. Actually, 
because I'm a traveling preacher, they have heard me preach about 20 sermons hundreds of times. That's the way that works. And, and they know those sermons word for word. You know, if I ever drop dead in the middle of preaching one of those sermons, they could just hop up and finish it right there. This sermon that Moses is preaching to us right here in Deuteronomy, he has preached this sermon before. He preached this sermon 40 years before at, the, at Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. And who knows how many times over the 40 years since then he has preached at least parts of, of, of this sermon before. But right here before he dies, Moses wants to preach this sermon one more time. Because he wants God's word, God's law burned into the, into the minds, into the memories of the Israelites so they will obey. And Moses gives them two motivations why they should obey God's law in, in Deuteronomy. The, the two motivations, God's grace and God's wisdom. God's grace and God's wisdom. First of all, he says God's grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses will give them the Ten Commandments. But right before the Ten Commandments, he says this. He says, remember, God saved you, God rescued you, God brought you out of Egypt. That's why you obey, because of grace, because of what God has done for you. Um, Have any of you seen this uh, Star Wars series on Disney Plus called The Mandalorian Yes, all right. The Mandalorian is a great series. If you haven't watched it, uh, I think you would enjoy it. I love The Mandalorian, um, mostly because it makes me feel young. Because Baby Yoda is 50 years old, and so am I. <laughs> and uh, and, and it's, if, you've, if you've ever watched this uh, TV show, then you know uh, that the story of The Mandalorian is this. The Mandalorian is, he's like a member of this warrior tribe called the Mandalorians, and, and Mando, as he is sometimes called, um, is pretty much like the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy, and we discover he is also the greatest foster parent in the galaxy, because Baby Yoda, and if you don't love Baby Yoda, you're a communist or something. I don't know what is up with you, but, uh, you know, he, he just, he, he, he loves Baby Yoda. And, and what we discover about this mysterious clan called the Mandalorians um, is, is this, that, that Mando um, actually was not originally a part of their tribe. Instead, he was an orphan. His parents were killed when he was a kid, and so the Mandalorians are the ones that found him. They call orphans foundlings, right? And, and so they found him, and they rescued him, and they saved him, and they took him in, and he was raised by these, by these like, religious warriors because the Mandalorians are, you know, they're the greatest fighters in the galaxy, but they also are kind of like this religious group and they have a very strict code of honor, a code of conduct that they follow called the way of the Mandalore. And the way of the Mandalore means things like this, that, uh, you know, you don't ever abandon your tribe and you don't ever abandon your weapon and you always look out for the orphans and the foundlings and don't ever take your helmet off and don't ever let anybody else take your helmet off. In fact, in fact, I have a one minute clip from the Mandalorian. Watch what happens when somebody tries to take his helmet off. Here you go. The Empire is no longer, and the Beskar has returned. When one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both hunter and prey. How can one be a coward if one chooses this way of life? Have you ever removed your helmet? No. Has it ever been removed by others? Never. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And listen, that's what they say every time they mention part of their, of their code. They say, this is the way. And all the other members of the tribe echo back, this is the way, this is the way. Now, we are going to do that this morning, all right? This is audience participation time. You're going to help me with this. It's going to be a little call and response, a little liturgy. Can we do this? We can do this. Here's the way it's going to go. Every time I say, this is the way, you're going to say back. In fact, you're going to yell it back loudly and passionately. This is the way. Can we do this? Let's practice it, all right? This is the way. This is the way. 
There it goes. Pretty good. Let's try it again. This is the way. One more time, I want it loud. This is the way. Very good. Now, time out here for just a second. You know, you know, you've heard a lot. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, we are. Okay. And we here at Ozark really, really, really want to keep classes on campus. And so we're asking you to follow these policies and these procedures. You heard the three W's, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. And if you're like me, you're going to get caution fatigue That means you're just going to get really tired of hearing it, and you're going to get really tired of doing it. But I want to thank you in advance for helping us out with this. As I've thought about this, really, it's it's heroic, it's noble, because what we are asking you to do is to follow the way of the Mandalorian. Because think about this. The Mandalorian always wears his mask. This This is the way. And the Mandalorian, no, he doesn't wash his hands, but he always wears his gloves. This is the way. And when it comes to other people, the Mandalorian always keeps his distance. This is the way. way. Very good. Time time in. Now, why has the Mandalorian chosen to follow this way of life? Well, it's because of what the Mandalorian tribe did for him. They rescued him when he was an orphan. They took him in. They rescued him. They saved him. And it's out of gratitude that he has chosen then to be a part of their tribe and to follow the way. What is Moses saying in Deuteronomy? Listen to me. He is saying, Israel, remember this. You were an orphan. You were abandoned in Egypt, but God found you. You were a foundling, and God adopted you. God chose you as his own. He rescued you. You talk about amazing grace. He saved you. And now if you want to stay part of the tribe, he says, follow his ways. Listen to what he says. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses says this. He says, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. And what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, he's saying, listen, this is the code. Because God rescued you. You want to be part of his, you want to be part of his tribe. That's awesome. But if you want to be part of his tribe, keep the Sabbath day holy. This is the way. If you want to be part of his tribe, honor your father and mother. This is the way. If you want to be part of God's tribe, like don't murder people. This is the way. And over and over again, he's saying, it's because of God's grace that we have chosen to walk in this way. That's the first motivation for obedience. But here's the second motivation for obedience. It's God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Moses actually says to the people, he says, listen, You want to know why you should obey God's law? It's because God is like really, really smart. And he like knows what he's talking about. He's wiser than you could possibly imagine. Listen to what he says in in Deuteronomy um, chapter four. Uh, He he says this in verse six. He says, obey these laws completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. Why will they do that? Well, because like God invented life. You know, and he like knows how reality works and life works and relationships work. And, and God isn't just asking you to obey these laws to somehow restrict you. He, it's because like this is the best way to live. This is the wisest possible life that you could live. And listen, Ozark, this semester as you study God's word, you're going to hear God command you. You're going to hear God speak to you. And there will be some things that God asks you to do that at first won't make sense. They will be counterintuitive. You'll be like, that is so strange. And the question at that moment will be, do you trust God's wisdom enough to obey him? 
My friend Joel Bates is an alumnus of Ozark, and, and he runs a wilderness ministry called Discovery Ministries. But when Joel was a student here at Ozark, he was in History of Ancient Israel class. They were studying Deuteronomy chapter 14, which is all about the tithe, giving 10% of your income to God. And actually, just the very next Sunday, he was sitting in church, and it was offering time. And all of a sudden, Joel felt a conviction that he should tithe. He felt the Lord just saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to obey. Give 10% of your income. Now, for that week for Joel Bates, uh, 10% of his income would have been $5. But here was the problem. $5 was all Joel Bates had left to his name. He had a $5 bill in his wallet, but that was all that he had in his wallet, in his bank account. And here was the real test. At that point in Ozark's history, our cafeteria on Sundays, not only did they not serve lunch, but they didn't serve supper as well. So Joel Bates knew that if he threw his $5 in the offering plate, he wasn't going to have money to buy food for the rest of the day. Now listen, for a college guy, that is not an easy decision because you know what a college guy's appetite is like. They are ravenous wolves, okay? In fact, try this experiment, all right? Just go into a dorm, uh, guy's dorm sometime. Go into the lobby when all the guys are in there watching football six feet apart and uh, toss a cheeseburger into the middle of the pack. Just watch what happens. Hunger games right there, I'm telling you, all right? They will not stay socially distanced. They will pounce on that cheeseburger. And, and listen, college guys need to eat. This is not an easy decision for Joel, but Joel has that $5 bill in his hand, and he prays a little prayer. He's like, Lord, this doesn't make much sense, but I'm going to trust you to provide for me, and I'm going to obey uh, because, you know, give 10%. This is the way. And so he plops his $5 into the offering plate. Well, he goes back to his dorm, and that afternoon he's studying in his dorm room, and man, he's getting hungry. I mean, his stomach is growling and growling. He's like, Lord, it sure would be nice. You know, I mean, I, you know, I could, if I need to, I'll go a day without eating, but boy, it sure be great if I could get some food. And, uh, and finally, it's like 6.37, 7.30 at night, and man, his stomach is just growling, growling, growling. And finally, to take his mind off of it, to distract himself, he goes down to the dorm lobby to watch some TV. Well, when he gets down into the lobby, there's a group of guys that are seated over at the table there in the lobby. They got this big mound of, of sub sandwiches. And when they see Joel, they're like, dude, come on over here. Somebody donated all these sub sandwiches to the, to the college. Come and grab one. And Joel's like, oh, thank you, Lord. This is perfect. And so Joel goes over and he grabs this big sub sandwich. He's sitting there in the dorm lobby eating a sub sandwich. And I think they're watching football. And while he is eating his sub sandwich, into the lobby walks another guy. This guy, uh, dorm guy, uh, works for Pizza Hut, and he has 10 pizzas. He's like, guys, uh, you know, these are like expired. We couldn't sell them anymore, but they're fine, and I can't eat any more pizza. Here you go. And Joel just starts laughing at that point. He's like, oh, Lord, this is awesome. And Joel ends up with an entire pepperoni pizza to himself. So he wraps up his sub sandwich in the backpack, save that for later. He's going to eat his pizza. So now he's eating his pizza when all of a sudden, I kid you not, another guy walks into the dorm lobby. He's carrying a 12-pack of Coke. He walks in. He says, guys, I want this 12 pack of coke at a church function today but i'm allergic to caffeine help yourself joel's just like oh this is amazing and now he's he's drinking his coke and he's eating his pizza and he's got his sub sandwich in the backpack when i kid you not this is a true story another guy walks into the dorm lobby and he's like hey guys my church is having a barbecue dinner for all the college kids and i'm supposed to be rounding people up so if you're hungry follow me and joel's just like all right lord you're just showing off now okay i mean the god just up there flexing it and uh, and listen to me God knows best. And as you're studying this semester, he may ask you to do something that seems really strange and counterintuitive. Give 10% of your money and forgive your enemies and die to yourself. And you're going to think that is so weird, that is so backwards, that is so upside, upside down. But the question at that moment is, will you trust God's wisdom enough to obey him? Never be afraid 
to trust an unknown future to a known God. Here's the last reminder that Moses gives us. He says this, you can trust God because he is more merciful than you could ever imagine. He is more merciful than you could ever imagine. In this sermon up to this point, Moses, Moses has kind of sounded like an inspirational speaker. He's like, all right, Israel, you can do this, man. Your parents failed, but you got this. You can trust, you can obey. You know, you can go conquer the land. You, you can do that, you got this. And he sounds like an inspirational speaker until you get to the conclusion of the sermon. Because at the conclusion of the sermon, he takes a sharp left turn. He basically says, here's the blessings that's gonna happen if you obey, and here's the curses that are gonna happen if you disobey, and then you know what Moses says? He's like, you're gonna fail. You're gonna disobey. You are not gonna trust God. You are not gonna obey. You're gonna break your command- his commandments. You're gonna turn your back on him, and you are going to fail. And honestly, that's really terrible inspirational speaking, but it's really great gospel preaching. Because before you can preach the good news, you gotta preach the bad news. Before you can get somebody saved, you gotta get them lost. And that's what Moses is doing here in Deuteronomy. When he's giving them the law, it is not just to help them be righteous, it's to show them their own unrighteousness. The law is like a mirror. And when they look into it, they will realize how dirty they actually are. If you start to think, hey, I'm actually a pretty good person, measure yourself against the straight edge of the law, and you will realize how crooked, how off you actually are. And Moses is saying this. He is saying, you will sin. You will not live up to this. You will fail. And when you do, you will be punished and you will suffer but after the bad news comes the good news and listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 he says this in the distant future when you are suffering all these things the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the Solomon covenant he made with your ancestors listen to me Ozark Christian College this semester you will fail you, you will learn to trust. You actually will. And you will learn to obey. You will grow. But you can't live up to all of it. You are going to do something stupid, and you're going to realize this, this is not the way. And you're, you're, you're going to sin. But the good news is our God is merciful. And what does he say? He will not abandon you. That verse, that verse is a rumor of the cross. I'll close with this. Um, I have always loved my firstborn son, Luke. Uh, Luke is the oldest of our six kids, and I will never forget February 4th, 1994, Katie, nine months pregnant, we rushed to the hospital, and at 9.21 p.m., Luke Donald Proctor was born. And I can remember right there in the delivery room seeing him for the very first time and just thinking, oh, my word, wow, look at that. He looks just like a prune. (laughs) He was all purple and wriggled up, but I remember thinking, that is the most beautiful baby boy prune I have ever seen. That one is mine, all right? And the nurses took him over to this little table, and they, they, they cleaned him all off, and they put this little blue stocking cap on his head, and they brought him back over to me, and right there in the delivery room, I got to hold my son, my boy, for the very first time. And as I looked out into those big, dark brown eyes, peering up under that little blue stocking cap, I'm telling you what, my heart was so full, it ached. When Luke was two, I was the preacher of a church in Illinois, and one particular Sunday morning, my wife Katie was sick. She needed to stay home, and so I took Luke with me to church. It was just the two of us, and I dropped Luke off, two years old, at the nursery, and I I kissed him. I said, bye, buddy. I'll I'll be back in just a little bit. Okay, Daddy, bye. 
and then I went to go preach. Well, our church had two morning worship services, and in between we had Sunday school class. And listen, that's a long time for a little two-year-old preacher's kid to be in the nursery. And plus, you know how it is for a preacher after the last service. I got caught by somebody out in the lobby, and they wanted to talk. And after a long conversation, and pretty much everybody has left the building, that's when all of a sudden I remember, oh, no, Luke is still in the nursery. And so I start jogging back down the hallway to get towards the nursery. And as I do, you know, Luke's the only one left in the nursery. And I can hear down the hallway, echoing off the tile floor, I can hear that he's crying. The, the nursery worker is holding him and just trying to console him because Luke was just weeping. He was just sobbing. And as I was jogging down the hallway, I could hear that he was saying something, but I couldn't make out what it was until I got a little closer. And finally, when I got close enough, I could hear what it was as Luke was weeping and sobbing over and over again. He just kept saying the same two words, the same two words. He just kept saying... Daddy coming. Daddy coming. Daddy coming. I thought a knife had stabbed me in the chest. My firstborn son thought I had abandoned him and nothing, nothing breaks a father's heart like the cry of a forgotten son. But you listen to me, Ozark, on that good Friday. As Jesus hung on the cross covered in my sin and your sin and all the sins of all of humanity, God the Father looking down from heaven could no longer stand the sight of his once pure and perfect firstborn son now covered in our sins. And as the sky grew black on that Friday at noon, the old gospel preachers used to say that was God turning his back on his son. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And nothing breaks a father's heart like the cry of a forgotten son, but he did it. He abandoned his own son because he would not abandon you. God is more powerful and he is more wise and he is more merciful than you could ever imagine. So do not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And one more thing, are you ready? Trust, obey, conquer. This is the way. Let's pray. Father God, you are great and you are good and we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.